If you will find your Bibles where you are at uh, home or you may be at work watching this morning, if you'll find your Bibles, turn to John 20, John 20, and as we read the Gospels, it helps me, and I think it will help you too, to remember who is writing. John, who writes this, was the only disciple to be at the cross of Jesus He is the only uh, disciple to uh, witness uh, up close and personal the agony and the pain that Jesus experienced. And so I want to uh, encourage you to think of that as you think of him this morning, uh, as you think of what we are uh, reading. The title of the message is, Whom Are You Seeking? In 1987, you 2 released a song called, I Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Perhaps you've uh, sung this song with them. uh, You've heard this song. It starts, it's such a memorable tune. It says, I've climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still, and if you remember the tune, the word still is held out. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He goes on to write, I've spoke with the tongue of angels. I've held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He goes on to make what appears to be a statement of faith, the kingdom, I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosened chains, carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I think it is possible that, that you are worshiping with us this morning and you can identify with this U2 song, you still haven't found what you're looking for. And so I would ask you, whom are you seeking? It isn't my question. It is the question of Jesus to Mary Magdalene in the garden here. Whom are you seeking? Three questions related to that. You might consider them to be sub-questions. Are you seeking a dead body? In other words, are you skeptical? Are you skeptical that Jesus really did die and really did rise from the dead? Mary Magdalene was. Verse 11 says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And when she did, she did not see the body of Jesus. She would not have visited a tomb if she had not been looking for a dead body. She was searching for the body of Jesus. Who was Mary Magdalene? She was from Magdala which is a town on the southwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
When Jesus found her, her life was a wreck. She is the one from whom Jesus had cast seven demons. That number seven is most likely figurative. It's the number of completion in Scripture, meaning that Mary Magdalene was completely controlled by Satan. When Jesus found her, he cast those demons out of her. He rescued her. And she was forever changed by Jesus. And then that Jesus whom she followed, that Jesus whom she admired, that Jesus whom she adored died. He died the most awful death. He died the death of a common Roman criminal on the cross. She was there. She watched him die. She watched him be beaten. She watched him be humiliated. She observed it all. She didn't go running. She stayed. And now she's coming just to honor his body and to bring some spices and anoint it. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Do you know what I wonder when I read this and still wonder today? If you look at occurrences of angels in the Bible, people are always afraid. But Mary wasn't. Why? Like, why did the angels not terrify her? Here's what occurs to me when I think of that. I think of a widow, a recent widow, who has lost the husband of her three children because he was away fighting for his country. And so to honor her, the President of the United States shows up himself personally to give her a flag and to thank her for her sacrifice too. In that moment, she is not awed by the president's presence because she is overcome with her grief. I wonder if that's what happened to Mary Magdalene, if her admiration for Jesus was so significant that she was not awed by the angel's presence. She's overcome by her grief. And she says, I don't know where they have laid him. In other words, in her mind, he's still dead. Some of you this morning are where Mary Magdalene was that morning. Though she had heard Jesus' own words that he would rise from the dead, she did not believe him. All she had in her mind was the awful image of how she last saw him. Overcome with grief, she could only think of her hopelessness. Maybe you're wondering how God could be God and how God could be good and let all these things happen that are happening in our world right now. How can tens of thousands of people die? 
Where is God in all of this? This has to be a nagging question in Mary Magdalene's mind. If he could cast seven demons out of her, can he not handle the Roman soldiers? While I cannot pretend to explain to you this morning why bad things happen to good people, I can say to you that we believe that Jesus was the only good person in every sense of that word who ever lived. And on the cross... The only good, righteous person who ever lived died for you. I cannot explain the evil in the world, but neither can I explain the love of Christ on the cross. I cannot fathom why the God of all creation would give up his one and only son so that I, a sinner, could have salvation and eternal life with him in heaven. I can't fathom that. If I cannot explain the good love of God, I will live in comfort that I too cannot explain the evil. Why? Bad things happen to good people. If you're watching and you're a skeptic, I'm so honored you've tuned in. I really am. I hope you'll reach out to us. Are you seeking a dead body? The second question is, are you seeking a personal dream? I call this person a fan of Jesus. Look at verse 14, having said this, she, Mary, turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, this is common after the resurrection. The men on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him either. Their eyes, the writer said, was kept from recognizing him. The disciples in the boat on the lake of Tiberias, they didn't recognize him either. This was a common thing. On the one hand, Jesus' resurrection body can be touched. It can be handled. Remember the Thomas story? It bears the marks of the wounds inflicted on him. He cooks fish. He eats the fish. On the other hand, Jesus' resurrection body can go through a wall and not have to use the door. He can be on the road to Emmaus, stop and eat in Emmaus, and be back instantly in Jerusalem. I will say here that if you wonder what kind of body we're going to have when we die, if you wonder what kind of body we're going to have when we are resurrected, I think this is it. I think we will resemble ourselves now, only perfectly then, and I think we'll have some pretty remarkable capacities. I also believe, and I know some disagree, This means that Jesus in heaven, I think, will bear the scars of the crucifixion. I think heaven will be a constant reminder of the most remarkable love of a gracious God. I think heaven, we will look at him. I think we will see him. I think we will see the scars. I don't think that will bring us sadness, but overwhelming joy. 
that one who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She didn't know it was Jesus. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. D.A. Carson says, well, grand as her devotion to him was, her estimate of him was still far too small. She was more of a fan than a follower. You see, in their culture, to mistreat a dead body was a heinous-like crime. She came to take care of his body. And then everything changed. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him in Aramaic and said, Rabboni. She looked at him. As soon as she heard her name, she recognized him. John. Remember John, who's writing this account, wrote in John 10 about Jesus. He knew it to be Jesus. John wrote the gospel, uh, his gospel, late in life, probably 80, 90 A.D. He says, to him, the gatekeeper opens, Jesus. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You see, Mary came to the empty tomb that day expecting to see a pretty mangled body. She expected to unwrap a blood-soaked cloth and to put spices in his body She expected to see a swollen face from a crown of thorns, from hair plucked out of his beard. I want to pause and say something here. If you want hope in the middle of the crisis that we're in, let Jesus' resurrection body give you that. If you've ever stood by the bedside of a loved one whose body was twisted by crippling arthritis, one day he will walk again. If you've ever seen your wife lose her hair, her muscles, and the strength in her body from cancer, one day she will walk again. If ALS has crippled your wife, leaving her to be able only to move, move a few muscles in her aching body. I say to you, on the authority of Jesus' body, Jesus' body no longer mangled, no longer with the swollenness of this 
body three days later that could walk in the garden and talk to Mary Magdalene and speak and say remarkable things. You will see your mom, your wife, your husband, your dad, your son, your daughter again, and they will walk and talk. You can rest assured this morning that God will have his way. I would say to you this morning, Satan may be having his day, but God will ultimately have his way. He ultimately wins. And Jesus' resurrection body is proof of that. If you've ever arrived at the scene of an accident only to discover that it's your son or your daughter, I promise you, they are not now as they were then. Mary never expected to see Jesus as she saw him. Jesus' glorious resurrection undid the disgrace of his cruel crucifixion. And if you know Jesus this morning, your own resurrection will undo the disgrace of whatever life does to you. So Mary Magdalene did what any of us would do if somebody we love dearly, we think is dead, is indeed alive. She most likely fell to her knees and grabbed him. She fell to her knees and grabbed him. His response is so surprising. He says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I've wondered, Jesus, why did you say this? It seems a tad rude. I'm not saying Jesus was rude. It just seems like that. I like D.A. Carson's paraphrase of Jesus' words. I I think he's on point here. He says, this is a time for joy and sharing the good news, not for clutching me as if I were some jealously guarded private dream come true. In other words, Mary Magdalene, you must be more than a fan. You must be a follower. Two questions and one assertion this morning. You can have a faithful brother. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus is saying between now and the ascension, which is going to happen in about 40, 50 days, is not the time for clinging, but the time for going. Jesus must ascend. Why? So that he can prepare a place for Mary. John wrote about that in 14.2. Send the promised Holy Spirit. John wrote about that in John 16. And ultimately returned to take her with him. John wrote about that in 14.3. Do not cling but go. You cannot miss in this passage what Jesus calls 
the other disciples brothers. Why are they now his brothers? Something happened on the cross. You can't miss this. When Jesus died for them, he became their substitute, stood in their place before the Father. He died for their sins. They believed in him, but didn't fully know who they were believing in. This is grace. These are the brothers who are described in verse 9 as, uh, of 20 as, yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. He calls denying Peter his brother. He calls doubting Thomas his brother. He calls all the other absentee disciples who were too scared to come to the cross to be there for him in his worst moment, his brothers. He calls God their God. He calls his father their father. I don't want to go too deep here, but just to give you just a little tidbit, lest you think this brings Jesus down too low, he didn't say our father here. He said yours and mine. Yes, he has a distinct relationship to the father, but he also offers us a relationship to the father. This is also grace because of whom he's telling to go. Her name is Mary Magdalene. She was a woman of ill repute. She was a woman from whom seven demons had been cast. And in Jesus' day, women were not permitted to be witnesses in a trial. Yet the first witness of his resurrection is a woman who was completely demon-possessed. This is grace. So she went, the first evangelist, Mary Magdalene, and she said, I have seen the Lord. D.A. Carson again says, Mary spoke better than she knew. <laughs> I've done the same, and you have too. In the early 1900s, there was a pastor, an accomplished pastor, his name was Cleland McAfee. He's a Presbyterian pastor who served Park College Church and a church nearby. He pastored several churches in his tenure, but something would happen in the early 1900s as diphtheria would make its way in and out of homes. Dr. McAfee did his fair share of funerals for that, and then it hit close to home for him as two of his brother's young daughters died to diphtheria. As soon as diphtheria would come and make its awful visit, 
that family would be quarantined, that home would be shut down. No one allowed in or out until it was mitigated. The bodies removed, no funeral. The church could do nothing. And Dr. McAfee thought to himself, what can I do? How can I pastor? What can I say? The year was 1903. He went home and he stayed up very late, praying, pondering what he could say in a sermon the following Sunday for those who did come and who knew these young girls. That night, he took up a pen and he began to write. And on Saturday night, the choir assembled and he took in his song. They learned it. And that Sunday morning, they sang it. As soon as the service was over, they traveled to the quarantine home and they stood outside that choir did and sang the hymn. Much as we've tried to come into your home today, the windows darkened. What was that hymn? There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Maybe you've heard it. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God, a place where we, our Savior, meet near to the heart of God. I would say to you this morning that if you have never received Christ as your Savior, if you're living in our world of unrest, without the hope of the resurrected Jesus. If you're thinking of your own frail body or the body of another, if you're thinking of eternal things in light of this temporal crisis, if that's where you are, there is a place of quiet rest for you near to the heart of God. Come to him. As I said earlier, just simply type the word Jesus in the comments. Folks are waiting at different locations right now to respond to you, to pray for you and with you, or send us a private message. I know that many people watch this later. And so if you watch this later, we'll miss your comments perhaps. And so if you do that, private message us, let us know. We want to celebrate the greatest Easter in your life. 